Welcome to the very first episode of Hype or Die, the podcast by Five Iron Frenzy fans for Five Iron Frenzy fans and, well, for people who hate Five Iron 2, which is most of the fans anyway. My name is Mark Jones, coming to you from Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, with me is... Joshua Huggins, coming from Albuquerque, New Mexico. We started uh, talking about doing this podcast about two weeks ago. We've both been lifelong fans of Five Iron and 90s Christian rock and things like that in general. So we want to talk a little bit about that today. But I guess we should probably start with uh, where we come from a little bit. So, uh, Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, how you got into Five Iron, all that kind of stuff. Let's see. Uh, Well... Lived here in New Mexico pretty much my whole life. Moved away for a brief stint, but um, how did I get into Five Iron? Um, well, I was always into Christian rock because as a Christian child in the 90s, you weren't allowed to listen to anything else. It was all I was <laughs> banished to was 100% Christian rock. My sister was really into the, the scene that Five Iron was starting to kind of break into. And I think I was eight years old and I was at Calvary Chapel of New Mexico. And the random band that was playing was Five Iron Frenzy. It was some little like high school college band playing on the stage that I had never heard of. My sister became obsessed. I always just stole whatever my sister was into. So I suddenly became obsessed with them too. But then in high school, I got really obsessed with ska and I really got into five iron at that point. And then right now they're just, they're just the best. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I kind of have a similar story somewhat. I grew up in a Christian household. And so, yeah, when I was a kid, a lot of, what I listened to, it was either like what my parents listened to, or I was allowed to listen to Christian rock. And uh, I think my first like Christian rock band that I was really into was Big Tent Revival. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good old BTR. <laughs> um, but so I, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, there was a kid down the street. Okay. And he introduced me to the OC Supertones. Nice. And from there, it was just kind of a natural progression. I started getting a little bit into ska, and I found one day I was at the Family Christian Bookstore, and I saw (laughs) our newest album ever, and it was this weird cover, and I was like, this looks interesting, and I listened to it, and I said, this is the best. And it's been a downward spiral since then. I've, you know, thrown my life away listening to Five Iron. Right. And I think as a child, like, it had this idea that it was somewhat irreverent. It almost felt like the Christian music that you're almost not supposed to listen to. And so I think that's why so many kids latch onto it. Totally. Like there were so many times when I would listen to it and think they're, they're kind of edgy. Like I, I can't, I don't know if I'm allowed to think like this. <laughs> <laughs> so you start hiding Christian music from your parents. <laughs> well, no, I, I never hid it from them. Like, you know, I think it was my, my rebellion even a little bit was listening to Christian music that was a little bit edgier and yep. <laughs> touched on some, some more sensitive topics. <laughs> so yep. yeah from there it was just kind of they became my favorite band in high school stuff like that and and still are so yeah my parents my parents kind of had a thing like if they're screaming then it can't be that christian because christians don't need to scream <laughs> which is so ironic like it's just it made no sense to me but because like, they would yell and scream at you all the time right <laughs> like you guys tend to yell a, a bit but i guess i don't know all right i guess your walk isn't good what are you trying to say like <laughs> You can't really talk about Five Iron without talking about like the Christian music scene in general, which in the 90s was giant. For some reason, that was when like the whole idea of Christian music was giant and uh Oh yeah. Kind of faded, like it seems to have faded a bit now. Now you have like worship music and some random Christian rock bands, but not not right. like in the 90s. Yeah, I you're right. You're absolutely right about that. It seemed like a lot of times though bands were in Christian music as a like a farming ground almost, like they were so that they could go as, you know, 
uh, mainstream acts or things like that. But you had some really good bands that were, I mean, devoted to being Christian bands. Yeah. And I remember like there were certain bands that you knew. Um, I, I heard an interview with Six Pence and the Richer at one point, and yeah. they straight up said like, we don't really want to be a Christian band. It's just, this is where we're making it. So I remember that was offensive as a kid and offensive to my parents because yeah. you can't do something for the love of music. It all has to be for a uh, religious value of it. And then if it happens to be music, good. Yeah. I kind of found it offensive when I was younger too. And now I, I understand yeah. it a little bit more. Right. Um, but I remember like, I used to have this video collection on VHS that was all these Christian music videos. Uh, it was called, it was the WWJD collection. So of course they had, (laughs) man, they had the big tent revival hit. What would Jesus do on there? Of course. Um, but it also had all these great bands, Supertones, Rebecca St. James, Newsboys, Bleach was on there, Grandma Tree, uh, Reality Check, which we'll probably talk a little bit about them later. Yeah. but it was it was it was cool because then I, I I was exposed to all these bands and I started listening to them. I was like, oh, these these bands are cool. You know, they make great music. Mm-hmm. And today, like I'll go back. I regularly go back and try to find 90s Christian music that I uh, that I used to listen to because I forget about a lot of it. And then every once in a while you find that gem that wasn't good for a Christian song. It was good for a song. And that's yes. how you know it's a good thing. That's how you know it's decent stuff is when you can still listen to it today and not cringe. And, you know, that's that's the hard part is that Christian music now, you don't find that as much. In fact, the most recent example I can think of that is Sky Park had this song called Bibleville. Have you ever heard it? No. Take a listen to it at some point. Okay. Um, it's really like it's dark and deep, and it, but it, it stands alone as a song. You know, it, it's it's like this very long ballad type song almost, but it's. Um, yeah, it, it's really, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's another thing that was always frowned upon was like having any sort of dark side to Christian music. Like it all seems so happy and like, we love Jesus, but very few bands like ventured to explore the other side of it. And that's actually one thing I like about five iron is especially their newer stuff. Like they have no fear in exploring what most Christians would never touch. Oh man, no, it, 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 it's convicting a lot of times when I listen to it, especially like songs like someone else's problems, stuff like that. Yep. It's, it does kind of hit you in the, uh, hits you in the, in the junk a little bit. Oh yeah. Hard. In the spiritual junk. That's what, uh, what is it? Blessed are the landmines by Brave St. Saturn did for me. I was like, oh wait, as Christians, we don't all have to love war. I don't get it. <laughs> I heard that song in college. Like, <laughs> Oh man, Brave St. Saturn's another Well, Of course that's, that's just, you know, an offshoot of five iron frenzy. So of course it's going to be good. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> or yeah. terrible, depending on how you feel about them. I don't know if I really love five iron frenzy as much as I do, or if I just have a crush on Reese Roper and that's my <laughs> feeding my obsession with all these like offshoots and anything they put out at this point he could put out poetry or like what i saw a video of him like playing guitar and singing in a mountain like random thing i'll i'll pursue anything that they have to put out no for real like whenever whenever i would hear about bands that came out of five iron side projects stuff like that like hearts of palm is a great example of a band that came after and out of five iron frenzy that is just excellent the only one i never latched on to was roper like i I, for some (laughs) reason i never it never caught on with me you never braced yourself enough for the mediocre? I didn't. I kind of, the mediocre passed me by a, a bit. You know, the one Roper, uh, the one song on that album I really liked was that cover of Still the One. Yes, and I liked, uh, 
They had a radio hit. It was a uh, Amplify, and I, I still dig that just because the intro is yeah. really catchy, and it's not bad. Why don't we actually get a little bit into the topic of the day a little bit and talk about some of these bands that were very important? Um, and, and of course, anybody listening to this is going to know these bands. They're they're the pop the popular, important, influential Christian bands, but there's more to them than just being a popular influential Christian band. Well, I'm going to let you take it away because you can talk for hours about this stuff. Oh yeah. Well, basically like you cannot talk about Christian rock, especially like with it bleeding. Uh, if you're talking about bleeding into like the secular portion of music um, without talking about DC talk. I don't remember when I first heard DC talk. I just always knew they were the band and I loved them. And when you look at when I started liking DC Talk, it becomes really embarrassing because I think the first DC Talk exposure I ever got was Rap, Rock, and Soul, where you had these three crazy different personalities. One's the rapper, one's the soul guy, and one like, and somehow, and like what they classify as rock and roll was not, I don't, it was just so bizarre that I, I latched onto them, but then they changed so much and every Christian kid in the 90s had some sort of story about DC Talk. I can tell you mine. So my first exposure to DC Talk was my mom had this tape of Stephen Curtis Chapman. And there was, it was, I think it was the Great Adventure album, right? So there was this song on there where he starts, like, he's like listening to New Thing at the beginning of it. And then it's <laughs> DC Talk comes on there and is like rapping with him. And it's so oh. funny. It's so bad, and it's so yeah. funny. And, like, of course, so I I went out and bought a new thing as a result of that. And now when I go back and listen to it, like, I found it recently, and when I go back and listen to it, I'm just like, this is so bad that it's good. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's terrible. They had one – I don't remember which album it was on, but they had one song all about how sex is bad. Oh, and I don't want your sex for now or yes. whatever? Yes. Yep. And is that the one where they uh, – no, I'm thinking of a. Was it? Is that the song that's like different kind of love or something, uh, something like that? There was another one where she, she talks about a girl with a short skirt and a bad mouth and how he like doesn't want her. He wants a good Christian woman or something like that. So DC Talk became massive with that because apparently that's what people wanted in the '90s. And what was the, what was the album right before Jesus Freak? Free at last. That's it. That came out and that was kind of their transition into, G, into Jesus Freak. I think I was in like second, third grade when Jesus Freak came out. But it came out as a single first, and it was massive and gigantic. And they had some sort of B-side on it that I don't think made the album at any point. Um, and just I remember my sister and her friends obsessing over that song and hearing it endless amounts of times until the album came out. And then that album was what stayed in your CD player if you were a Christian 90s kid. It was the quintessential like 90s rock album. You know, I Jesus Freak was never my favorite DC Talk album. I always preferred Supernatural. I actually did too. Supernatural is easily their best album. And when we were talking about this earlier, I mean, you you said what I've always said that not only does it stand stand up as a Christian album, it stands alone as an album today. Exactly. And it wasn't like I don't know. I went back recently and I listened to DC Talk with my girlfriend who has never heard DC Talk wasn't in the Christian music scene as a 90s kid. And so, like, I would show her all these different things. And some of them were, like, really embarrassing to show her, and others were not. Like, there were songs that she actually enjoyed. One one song that actually uh, I, I kind of cringed at a little bit was Colored People, because I was like, 
I started, I was like, oh my God, you have to hear this song. This is where they, they, they really break down social barriers and, and get to the real heart of the issue. And then you hear it and they're just really spoon feeding the most basic anti-racist point at you. Like I, it's, I can't listen to it now without cringing. It really weirds me out. But they did really have this, this diversity about them. Like even like you talk about, you know, diversity in, in bands or in music and stuff like that, where they build boy bands and you've got like you know, the gimpy one and the gay one or something. (laughs) But they really did. It was like these three kids from three different worlds entirely. Um, Kevin Max was on an episode of Bad Christian a few months ago. Really? Um, Have you, do you ever listen to Bad Christian? I do. I've heard it before. Not, not as much as I listen to other podcasts, but yeah, I'm I'm familiar with it. I haven't listened in a few months, but uh, Kevin Max was on a, uh, an episode of Bad Christian a few months ago. And he talked about, how they all met in college and that it was, it was a uh, Toby Mac, man. He, he wanted to like start this, this group, right. This kind of a hip hop, you know, hip hop rock group that, uh, you know, and he, he had the ability to pull, you know, these three people together because you had, you know, he was really into like rap and stuff like that. And Kevin Mack was always into eighties rock and stuff like that. And he was, he's the musical one. Mm-hmm. And then you had Michael Tate, who's the, like the excellent singer, you know, which is interesting. Um, Kevin Max now still has a career and I listen to him now and I'm like, he does have talent and he's actually like booming in popularity. And I, I don't know if he's popular um, with everyone or if it's just nineties kids who remember him. Yeah. But uh, he seems to be, uh, I think he did a Kickstarter recently and, and funded his project and it came out. And I think it was, uh, it seems pretty successful. Well, you know who else from DC Talk still has a career? Is Michael Tate. Michael Tate, <laughs> yep. who is now the lead singer of the other 90s Christian supergroup and still a supergroup. Very important today, even though it contains none of its original members, and that's the Newsboys. Which is so weird that there's still a thing. And like, it almost feels wrong to kids who remember, like... They appeal now to like my mom. My mom likes yeah. the Newsboys because of the kind of music they make. But as a '90s kid who listened to Newsboys and DC Talk, for them to cross paths like that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I was like, when we were when we were first talking about doing this podcast, we were talking about the first episode. We wanted to talk about these '90s Christian bands stuff like that. I went back and thought, can I remember all the lyrics to Shine? And I was oh. I was driving for work. I drive a cigarette truck for work. Nice. Um, so I was, I was driving along and I just turned off the radio and I was like, dull as dirt. You can't assert alive them. <laughs> so I like, I remember it. I was like, man, I do remember all of these lyrics. Yeah. It sticks in your head, man. Like I, there's so many songs like that that I'm like, Oh, I remember this song. And then I just end up singing the entire thing. Not remembering that I knew the entire song somehow. <laughs> I, I do that all the time when I, I realize that, man, I still remember all of these lyrics, even like I listened to new thing because somebody had never heard it. I was like, you've never listened to DC talks album, new thing. How? Come on. <laughs> so newsboys though, is one of those bands that uh, like uh, have you, you've seen them live, I assume. Oh yeah. Probably a dozen times. I, I mean, I've seen them twice, but I saw them when Peter Furler was still the lead singer and I saw them actually at the tail end of Step Up to the Microphone Tour. Yep. So they were still doing that rotating drum thing that yes. was really cool. Like it was, it was so cool when they would, when they would play uh, Truth Be Known and they would come to the end and uh, he would get up there on the drums with Duncan and they would do that. It was so cool. I forgot uh, about that. Man, they put on such a great show. Um, and they were like, 
they were just excellent musicians. Like I, mean, like I went back and listened. There's another album that stands up on its own as an album. I went back and listened to Take Me to Your Leader. Yeah. And it's so good. I listened, I did the, I didn't, I listened to one that didn't stand up quite as well. And that was Love, Liberty, Disco. Dude, I, that holds a special place in my heart. It really it has to. <laughs> Did you did you go to that tour? The one I went to was at the tail end of Step Up to the Microphone, and they were getting ready to transition into Love Liberty Disco. Yeah. So yeah, they played a bunch of stuff from it. They toured with like Worldwide Message Tribe or Rays or one of those like <laughs> Christian techno bands. <laughs> Dude, I saw them with the Supertones at Carowinds Theme Park. That's another thing you can do in Christian music that you cannot do in secular music is take completely different genres and throw them together. But if they're big enough in the Christian world. People don't care. So I saw Jennifer Knapp with the W's and DC Talk. Yeah, no, I saw Super Chick, Super Tones, and Newsboys play a show one time. Yeah, that's it, so bizarre. You'd never see you'd never see a ska band play with an acoustic like folk singer. It's so, it, it's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, but that's and that you're right. That is something you can do where you blend all these different genres, um, and and I it, it makes sense because it's you know when it was '90s Christian music, it was about the same purpose. You know, they, they had mm-hmm. the same purpose, but they also were, you know, making excellent music. And so you have people that were fans that wouldn't, I, you know, I, I guess just people now listen to hyper specific, super, like super distilled genres, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I heard somebody talking the other day about like all these different sub genres of, of of metal now and oh. there's even one called gent which is just because that's the noise guitars make like gent, 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 gent. <laughs> like it's actually called dj ent gent that's hilarious i heard um i heard the term normcore for the first time recently <laughs> um, which, from my understanding of normcore is it's like people idealizing the 90s and dressing like the 90s again i don't know i I've never heard of it before, but I, I'm doing it. I wear flannels, so I guess I'm part of the problem. So so getting back to Newsboys, though, um, they are one of those bands that they've been super influential in a lot of ways. Like they, mm-hmm. you know, they write the songs that people sing in church now when that used to just be like Delirious and Hillsong. Yeah. Right. And Delirious Chris, is another one of those great bands. Like Chris Delirious, Tomlin. Chris Tomlin, uh, you know, even David Crowder, like those those people like would stand alone as musicians. Um I, like I still like I listened to Delirious a little bit last night. I was just driving with a friend. And I put on I put on Glow, mm-hmm. and it was like, man, this is so good. When I got older, I started. I, we didn't discuss this band, but there was, I can't believe I forgot about them. There was a little bit later. I got into a band called Spoken, um, and they mm-hmm. had an album called A Moment of Imper- Imperfect Clarity, and yeah. that album. When I was a kid, I loved it. I, I think it was just because it was some sort of like heavy Christian music, which I wasn't used to. But like today, I'll still listen to that album because musically it's great and it works so well as an album. Like beginning to end, you can listen to the whole thing, and it's got such a cool like vibe to it. I've heard some spoken before, you know, because I used to listen to the Effect Radio Network when it was mm-hmm. still like when it still played good music. Um, but uh, no, I, I I like I rabbit trailed off. I was trying to go back to Newsboys because I wanted to ask you: Have you ever seen the movie they made? What they made a movie? They made this weird movie called Newsboys Down Under the Big Top, where this was back when that guy, what was his name, like John James or something like that? I don't know. When he was still in the band, and he was kind of like the lead singer, but he wasn't really the lead singer. He just jumped around a lot. He was like a hype man almost. (laughs) But it was like he inherited a circus. 
like a failing circus. And so, wow. and uh, like I, this movie sounds like an acid trip or a fever dream because it's the newsboys <laughs> going to like help a failed circus that has like the, the elephants and stuff quit. So they're like training dogs to like chase after a hamster and a ball or something like that. Just bizarre, really weird movie. And there are a lot of clowns and, and midgets or little people, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a very strange movie. You've got to find it. You've got to find it. That reminds me of like back in the day, like the Beatles would make movies and they were terrible or like randomly Hulk Hogan would have like a cartoon just because if you're a celebrity, apparently you can do anything. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's, that's kind of what it is, I guess. It's, but like the movie starts with, uh, with Phil Joel sitting in who's not even in newsboys anymore but sitting down um in like this this equipment shack writing a letter he's writing a letter and he's he's saying it out loud as he writes it mom and dad i'm fine how are you <laughs> that's, that's i so have funny. joined a small circus that much is correct <laughs> true huh it rhymes i like i can't even remember the the, the plot of the movie is so strange like huh. you've got to see it do you remember the movie extreme days I remember seeing parts of it, yeah. That's like we were kind of talking about this earlier. Like there was always there's always been this section of Christian culture where you have the Christian alternative to things. So you had Veggie Tales, a Christian alternative to secular cartoons, or Extreme Days, like the uh, secular alternative to skateboarding movies. Yes. And sometimes they hit and they're okay, but that's generally all they ever are is okay, and it's unfortunate. Like. There's no reason why they shouldn't be, why you can't make something good, but I don't know, maybe it's the budgets, I, maybe it's, I don't know. But you find a lot of really terrible stuff in that scene. I, you know, I don't remember watching Extreme Days all the way through. I just remember it having something to do with like BMX and skateboarding and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the whole idea is Christians can skateboard too. Yeah. Well, and so there's always been this undercurrent of uh, creating Christian alternatives. Oh, yeah. Uh, to everything and so you've got like you know we were talking about this earlier how like uh, Thousand Foot Crutch was like the Christian Limp Biscuit yep. but occasionally you'd find these bands uh, that would be like an amalgamation of just a weird mashup yep. and so I, I told you this is one that I wanted to throw, throw out there and imagine now imagine if you took like rap rock like Limp Biscuit, right mm -hmm. and you threw in the Backstreet Boys, right? Yeah. It's already a weird mix. You just kind of mash it up <laughs> in the bowl, and then you sprinkle a little 70s funk on top. That's how you get reality check. And it's interesting, too, like, because a lot of stuff stuck in the Christian industry that didn't... So, like, at a lot of times, a lot of times you find even more generic music outside of Christian music, and then you'd get really unique groups that had a sound that no one else was doing, but Christians latched onto it and they loved it. So it worked great. And reality checks a pretty good example of that. Yeah. It was such a weird sound. Like I, I remember like when I was a kid, my best friend and I, you know, my best friend, Dan, we used to like play with Legos in his bedroom and listen to reality check and the super tones and stuff. And his dad hated it. Cause he's like, that's not Christian music because they're like rapid and have those heavy, loud guitars and stuff. <laughs> and so we would have to like, keep it really secret or listen there when his dad wasn't there. Right. And so we were listening to like, we knew all the words to masquerade. Oh yeah. And, and, and like, you know, we also had like all of our misheard lyrics too, because that's, <laughs> always a lot of fun 
um, his misheard lyrics to Supertone Strike Back always <laughs> crack me up. Dude, I, um, I would mumble through that song as a child. And if you don't have the original like disc, you're not getting yeah. the lyrics. You didn't go on the internet and search for the lyrics. You just never knew what they said. Yeah, you, you never knew because, you know, we didn't have these lyric search engines back then that we have now. Yeah, I was into some really uh, – when I was a kid growing up with Christian music, um, my church, Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque was where I went to church. And they are massive. We're talking like well over 10,000 people, like the definition of a mega church. And so if Christian artists were touring, they came to Albuquerque and it was promoted through Calvary of Albuquerque. So I saw a ridiculous amount of Christian music when I was a kid. And the, they also owned a radio station. So our radio station up here was K-Light at one point, and then it became MA8. They pushed these bands so hard, and you got to see them while in concert. So I found all of the obscure bands. And I, I swear, when I was a kid, I thought no one else knew who these people were. I thought there was no one else out there who knew this music, because none of my friends did. And then you find people on the internet. That's why, like, with Five Iron Frenzy, there's a gigantic group of, like, insane people who listen to Five Iron now. And they have this weird little family going on where that that's all they do is obsess about five iron. Well, that's, that's how you and I like got hooked up for this is because, uh, the frenzy con Facebook group. Yep. Were you, okay. So we don't have to get into five iron yet, but were you a part of the original Kickstarter group? I wasn't actually, um, because at the time that they were doing the Kickstarter, I, I heard about it the night they announced it. Really? Um, I, like I saw the thing for it and I was like, what? No, this can't be real. And then uh, they were, you know, they, they were talking about, oh, there's a new, they want to put out a new album and stuff. And I was watching the Kickstarter go. Like by the time I found that they were doing the Kickstarter, they had already met the goal. And yeah. so, and it was because it was like in the first hour they mm -hmm. raised their goal. But I, you know, I was like, I was like weeping tears of joy when, when I found out about it. Um, but at the time, because I was, I was, where I was in life, I was really broke. And so I couldn't put money towards Kickstarter. Yep. I wish I could have. Oh, when but, we get to, uh, when we start talking about five iron more, I've got so many stories, but, uh, yeah. Speaking of, um, obscure, um, nineties bands, do you ever hear the band polar boy? A few times. They, I know they played them on, uh, effect radio a lot when I, when I listened to that, cause then that was a great radio station. Um, just because like they, they would, they actually had like a morning show and all sorts of stuff. And then they, then they went to playlist formats and it wasn't quite as good. And then they had this decline into playing like really bad Christian music. Oh yeah. They all become just another like air one or K love eventually, because that's, what's making money. <laughs> but like Christian, the Christian Chuck FM to this day, like, uh, Christian music is a gigantic market. Like if you make Spanish music or Christian music, it's a guaranteed success. And so a lot of format changes are for that reason. Sure. Well, it's, you know, you want to talk about, Oh, wait, my brain just died. Oh, polar boy. Yeah. Polar boy. Um, that was one thing that was disappointing in the nineties was when you had good Christian radio, you'd get a song that would just blow your mind. And polar boy had a song called in my shoes. And it's a song about a guy who is dating a girl. I guess uh, this is me moronically trying to interpret the lyrics because I don't remember the song. But I guess he's like dating a girl and then decides he doesn't want to date her anymore because she's not Christian or something like that. But the song is amazing. To this day, I play and sing it and listen to it on uh, on the internet. It's, hard, it's surprisingly hard to find. I think it's on YouTube and that's about it. So yeah, like I'll, I'll still listen to the song now. It's just, 
it's a really good song, but it was a one-hit wonder, and you find that so much in Christian music. You get these bands that put out an amazing song, you rush to your Christian music store to buy the album, and it ends up that they actually only have one good song, and that was Polar Boy's biggest problem. <laughs> there were yeah, I can think of a lot of bands like that. I'm trying to think of like there was one called like Buck Enterprises or something. Oh yeah. Oh, you knew them. Oh, I I know the name. What was their big song? I don't even remember now. <laughs> um, there, I just remember was... seeing them at Acquire the Fire. Like, did you ever go to an Acquire the Fire? No, I don't think we had it oh, here. Oh man, it was. Uh, I mean, they were really. They put on a really cool event. Um, those events were always top notch. Um, I I was thinking of a band called Buck, which stood for Building Up Christ's Kingdom. That was them. Were... That was them. Buck Enterprise. That was them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they were had, kind they of like some... rock ska. They but, started as ska when yeah. they were when they were Buck, and they had one song about like a punk rock good Samaritan. That's all I remember. They had this. I have an album from them where they covered a Beatles song. Huh. It's, what song? Uh, I was alone. I took a ride. I didn't know what I would find. Okay. There. Like, um, it was it was actually pretty good. But the, yeah, they were kind of a one hit wonder um, in a lot of ways. There were so many bands like that, but there there were also some bands that would consistently put out excellent music, especially in the early days, like uh, Switchfoot, for example. Oh, yeah. Dude, Legend of Chen, I listen to that frequently. Like, I'll just, I'll find that CD and put it in, in mm -hmm. my car or something, because it is so good. I will I'll listen to a New Way to Be Human all the time. Um, oh, man. To this day, I think that song has the greatest intro of any song with the whistling and, like, the weird, like, static. It's just works so well yes no you're absolutely right it just had they had it on like up until beautiful letdown and even like during beautiful letdown but out after it, it kind of went away they just had this very distinct sound it mm -hmm. was creative it was experimental it was cool and it like it, it actually like it, you know it, it made some crossovers like there was that one of their one of their songs on learning to breathe was in some movie where mandy moore was in it or something like that yeah um what song was that i don't even um, remember I don't remember. I just remember the excitement of a Christian band crossing over. Well, you know, and, and there were so many bands like that. We actually, in the pre-show, when we were talking about stuff, we talked about, um, and we didn't know how to pronounce Mukala or Makala, um, but basically they had, the, there was in the background of one of these teen movies, I don't even remember which movie it was. It was like one of those 90s, like Clueless or something like that. Yeah. I just remember hearing, wish I could be anything I want to be like in the background of one of these movies. Yeah. Here it is. Regret was in the movie. Drive me crazy with Melissa Joan Hart. That was it. <laughs> that was it. And, and I actually like recently I went and downloaded that song. Um, regret mm -hmm. just because it was, it was, they also had just this really distinct sound and they kind of had some mainstream success with it, but they're also so obscure that you'll never, never hear of them. Yep. And they only have one album. Yeah, it was self-titled. Although that dude, it's named after the dude that was in the band, Dan McCullough or something like that. But he's like a record producer now. Dan McCullough worked with the likes of uh, Garth Brooks, uh, let's see, Backstreet Boys, Amy Grant, uh, people like, he. he's worked with Mercy Me and Leanne Rimes and all these different people. Yeah, and so that was, you know, this kind of semi-obscure band but you'd hear some of their songs like on, on the weird Christian radio stations stuff like that. Another band just popped in my head that I actually still listen to today um, a little bit. In uh, It's All Star United. Have you heard them? 
Yes. They were really good as a kid. And today, the guy's got a really unique voice. And so I still dig them and I'll still listen to them every once in a while. And actually, their song, Savior of My Universe, is one of my favorite songs at this point. Um, but I remember there's a rumor going around when I was a kid that the members of All Star United had witnessed and apparently had some sort of attempt to convert Marilyn Manson. And as a kid, that was for some reason such a shocking thing. Like, oh my God, they got they tried to get through to Marilyn Manson. What what bravery! <laughs> they talked to him. How? Man, uh, so oh so side note. Speaking of Marilyn Manson, there's recently something going around where uh, so somebody took his song "This Is the New Shit" all out and made it into it's a amazing. Song. It really is. It's so weird how well it works. And it sent me down this rabbit hole of finding like Slipknot as ska songs, things like that. That were just it cracked. There me are up, some man, good ones when, when people do this. And they, yeah, they do really it well are. too. Like um, I love those those songs where they take the uh the 5.1 audio and just pull out the the vocals and then just compl- so i heard yeah. like a smooth jazz version of inner sandman like a heavy metal version of paparazzi <laughs> <laughs> those are hilarious do you remember there were some bands that would uh some christian bands that would sample secular music and i remember that had its own little bit of controversy for some reason yeah like uh, give um, me an example because i remember hearing i think the band was k2s and they sampled dust in the wind there was a band that, okay, their whole purpose, and they were, it was like in the early 2000s, what they would do was take secular songs. Oh and my God, Christian what was their name? I can't remember, but they did like, didn't they do one? They did like Queen and everything. Uh, like, he, yeah, he took that song. Um, what, was it Apologetics? Yes. Apologetics, they took, yes. They took uh, that song, This Is the Story of a Girl, and they made it, This Is the Story of a Squirrel. <laughs> and I, like, I don't know, I don't remember if that was funny as a kid, but wow, as an adult, oof. Yeah, it's funny that you would talk about, like, this is the story of a squirrel, because <laughs> it's such a, like, a silly, goofy idea. And there's one band that's near and dear to all of our hearts that is is the goofiest, silliest, stupidest band, and we we love them anyway. And they sing songs about... Maybe not squirrels, but definitely about kitty doggies. Yeah, uh, pants. Pant, they had like an entire rock opera about pants. And that is, of course, how we kind of started this show. Is it, it, Five Iron Frenzy. We're, this is a fan podcast for Five Iron Frenzy. And I mean, I'll, I'll let you take it away because you've been a fan probably longer than I have. And you've, you've, you've seen them in concert so many times. So take it away. So I started liking Five Iron, like I said, when I was eight years old and really got into them in high school. At that point, I owned all the albums and I was a giant fan by the time The End Is Near came out. I bought it online and I uh, recently, like, not too recently, but like when I was at the tail end of high school, I went on their on their website. They have like a history of all their shows and counted up how many times I had seen them. And so like at the end of this past summer, I saw them for the 19th time. So my obsession is, is definite, very real. And I uh, just, and it's weird, like for the reasons I liked them, I started out liking them as a kid because they were the good Christian music, the stuff that I liked. Um, yeah. I liked them in high school because I was really into ska, and so I continued to like the best Christian ska band. And I say and that you're still a big ska kid, like with Streetlight Manifesto and stuff like that. I am. I'm like one of the last remaining ska kids. I still go to the shows and still. See, I've seen Streetlight, I think, twelve, thirteen times. So, not as much as I used to be. There used to be like. If it's generic ska, it only goes so far with me, and it's a fun concert, but not a fun album. But like the bands that have legitimate talent, like some of the uh, 
some of the music in Five Iron and like Streetlight is just really talented stuff, and you don't find that in a lot of music. So I, I tend yeah. to latch onto it. Um, so like when when was it that you got into like were you always into Five Iron or did you really start liking them at some point? When I was in middle school, I that's when I encountered our newest album ever. Okay. Um, like I said earlier, it was going into a family Christian bookstore and seeing this weird album cover with this guy in a straight jacket yeah. and just thinking, this is, this is, this is edgy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this will make my parents mad. And I started listening to it and I really loved it. And then the more I listened to it, like I, I think the next album I got from them was I bought, I bought the proof that the youth are revolting that live album mm-hmm. and just listening. I was like, man, these guys have so much fun and like they're good they're actually good at music and you know i, I actually be like i started playing the trumpet because of that yeah um that's and and i i loved like it, it actually is what ended up giving me a great love of music was five iron friends oh yeah and um i didn't really understand how much i liked music until i until i uh, started listening to five iron it was kind of a musical awakening for me and you can't you can't talk about five iron without we we touched on it a little bit but talking about their kickstarter so i was a huge fan and when they broke up i was not a gigantic fan my my crazy fanboy phase came after they were broken up but i was really into them when they were together so they were broken up for most of the time that i was obsessed and there was always rumors that they get back together and you always heard that perhaps they would get back together or a couple of them would get together and play some of the songs. And I never thought it would actually happen. And it happened a lot sooner than I thought it would. Eight years later, I was thinking maybe they'll throw together some sort of show. Like they'll, they'll put on one big show that everyone around the country will come to. Or maybe they'll put out a new song. But the fact that they came back and are an actual band again, making new music, playing regular oh shows. Gosh. I was amazed at that, 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 that happened. Totally. I, I, like I, like I said, I was like weeping tears of joy when I saw the Kickstarter. Oh yeah. Uh, and me and my friends had a five iron frenzy party. Um, I've got two other, two other friends who are obsessed and have been since high school. And we got together and we watched the documentary and listened to their music and had like food and beer. Cause we were 21 at that point. And we had a giant party for five iron. I remember watching the countdown thinking like it's too good to be true. And I actually had like an insider into, I I have a friend who uh, is involved with a radio station and people at the radio station know the members of Fire Iron Frenzy. And she told me Fire Iron Frenzy is getting back together and they're going to make a new album. And I still didn't believe it. And I thought for sure when I hit refresh, that it was going to (laughs) be a giant joke and it'd be some sort of nothingness. It'd just be like Reese mooning the mooning the camera. Or something. I was fully prepared for that, and then when I found out they're really back, I was excited. When I found out they're going to play shows, I was even more excited, and I became obsessed. And I actually, uh, so the Kickstarter thing, I had I was looking at it, and then a couple days, I think it was maybe the second or third day of the Kickstarter, they added a new incentive, and the incentive was to see Five Iron Frenzy's first show back from the dead. And they didn't, they didn't give any details. They said, all right, we're having a show. It's going to be in Denver. We don't know when. We don't know where. So buy these tickets. They're $200. And I remember at the time, I couldn't afford it. I was like, I, I was literally depressed that I couldn't afford it. And then they divided it and made it, well, if you pay 200 bucks, you get two tickets. And so I was like, all right, I can do this. I found a, my friend who was willing to go. I found two other friends and we bought tickets. And we're like, whatever. Hopefully I get the day off to go see him in Denver. And... That's where that started. And uh, you mentioned FrenzyCon, which is the group that 
pretty much any five hundred. There's like thousands of members now. Yeah, there's like fifteen hundred members now. But that whole thing started as all the five iron kids getting together who were going to the Kickstarter show and starting a group. And so we started this group online and it became obsessive, like talking to them all day long. I actually, oh, yeah. I had a girlfriend that I met from that group for a while. We're not together now, but I had a, a girlfriend that I met from that group and uh, I moved to live with her. And the show, when the show finally happened, there was so much buildup to it that the whole thing felt completely surreal. And to see them again with like a hundred people that we knew from this group was crazy. And then literally on the drive back from Denver for the show, someone added me to a group called FrenzyCon. And the idea was to have a, an annual event for five iron friends for five iron fans. And it became massive. And now there's a massive amount of people in the FrenzyCon group. I hope that like, cause they actually did one FrenzyCon an an actual gathering. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that they can do it again at some point. Oh yeah. It's so much fun too, to get like all the, frenzy kids together like because i mean like even me and you talking right now two frenzy kids like i've never known a band to bring people together like that it's such a bizarre no totally like i i was actually i was in the i was in the parking lot of the grand canyon Mm -hmm. and i was i was with my dad and my brother we were driving around the country and and i was getting back into the car and i saw somebody just 10 feet away from me getting out of a car and like unloading a stroller to get his kids out and he was wearing a five iron frenzy shirt uh-huh. and i like and i was wearing this like trogdor the burninator shirt <laughs> from homestarrunner.com from back in the day and like i've had the shirt for a long time but i jumped out of the car and i like pointed at him and i shouted dude you're wearing a five iron shirt yep. and he points he's like you're wearing a trogdor shirt and it was like <laughs> we hugged in the parking lot your brother's like, like- yeah, no, it was, and we're like, we were like, oh, dude, I'm going to add you on Facebook. And I was like, I was like, dude, have you heard about FrenzyCon? It's a great group on Facebook. He's like, no, what's that? I was like, I'm adding you, dude. Oh, yeah. So, but yeah, so, so it is like this thing. It brings people together. It's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. And like, I think there have been multiple relationships and I think even a marriage that came from the FrenzyCon group. Wow. Like they're very, uh, they're really diehard fans and it's, Almost embarrassing at some point, but like every time you go to a show, you reach out to all the frenzy kids and you're like, all right, who's going to be at the show and what are we going to do before and after the show? And so every show I've been to, I don't think I've been to one where I didn't connect to Five Iron fans. And one of them was here in my hometown and I had frenzy kids coming through and and I met them at the show. It's just, it's such a weird dynamic that you'll, you won't find that with any other band. I've never seen something so rabid as Five Iron fans. Well, it's like when I saw the Kickstarter go up, I immediately sat down on like, I got my phone out and I started texting all of these college friends. I was like, dude, Five Iron is getting back together. <laughs> it's happening. It's a thing. And people, people couldn't give them money fast enough. Their goal was like 30,000. And didn't they raise like over 200,000, 100,000? Two, like 205 grand or something like That's that. That's a stupid amount of money. Like That's, they set a record for Kickstarter that was only recently broken by reading Rainbow. Well, yeah, they like, they boost, because Kickstarter was not, I had never heard of Kickstarter before 5iron. And I remember it got a lot of press because they uh, raised so much money so fast. And then now Kickstarter is such a legitimate way for bands to raise money and do their music on their own. Now you have like System of a Down crowdfunding their new project. And it's, it's so bizarre that uh, they like paved the way for that. And it's because, like I said, Five Iron Kids will do anything for that band. It was so exciting. And like I, because when I was a kid, I never got to see them live. Um, I never got to see them live until after they got back. Oh, really? Um, So that was a big thing for me is like me and all these friends from college 
packed into packed in some cars and drove to Atlanta uh, for a show uh, like back in March of 2013. Yep. So and it, like it was just you know I was just like a kid again. It was like it was one of the it's the greatest show I've ever been to. And I like I've seen the yeah. Who in concert. Like I I saw the Who this past Sunday night with my dad and. That is that's tied like right now. That's tied for me as like number one show. With yeah, the energy of a Five Iron show doesn't compare to anything I've been to. And I brought my uh, my girlfriend right now. I showed her Five Iron because everyone who knows me will get introduced to Five Iron at some point. And she she liked them. Like of course. Before I ever met her, she was in Europe traveling, and I was talking to her on Facebook before I met her. And I sent her a um, I sent her an iTunes gift card. I was like, here's fifteen dollars. You can spend ten dollars on whatever album you want. However, you have to buy the Five Iron album and listen to it on your way back. And she did, and she liked it. I, clearly, she's not as obsessed with as me, but she has been to two shows with me now, and she went nuts at the shows, went crazy. And she's like, "I've never been to, a, I, I've never been to a show that has this much much energy, and that everyone is like, everyone's a huge fan in the audience." I mean, conga lines yep. in the mosh pit, like it's that's what happens. It's like I, there, I've never, I've been mm-hmm. in a lot, I've been in mosh pits, you know. Uh, growing up in high school and, and college, middle school, stuff like that. I've never been in a mosh pit where other than maybe like seeing me without you, where everybody's like that, hugging. Everybody. Yes. That happened to me. Okay. Um, it was in South Dakota. I went to some random Christian festival um, and um, saw five iron and it was during fistful of sand where they have like their, their hard screaming part in the middle of it. And I was in the middle of this mosh pit that was kind of dying down at the time. And it got really heavy and me and this one kid were just like throwing down hard this weird like energy of like just oh my god it's this part of the song and when that part came came on he sprinted over to me and grabbed me by my shirt and we were like looking at each other and screaming the lyrics to each other and then when that part ended we just like threw each other and moved on it's <laughs> it was this weird brotherhood that we had in those four seconds like i know this part of the song so do you let's Let's love each other for a minute. Totally. Oh, get out of here. Like No, it's it's to, it's it's just like that. And like I said, it's it's like that with like me without you. Have you ever listened to me without you? I've seen them live and I've heard a little bit, but not too much. Dude, they put on a great live show. I it's it's one of my favorite bands to see live. It's emotional. Get a chance. So it's so powerful and they're so good. You know, it's just such and, and like fans get really into them. Like they're one of those really like Five Iron Frenzy, they're a very polarizing band. And that you either love them or you hate them. Yeah. You know, like I've never met anybody that just casually likes one of those bands. It's either they love them or they hate them. The thing that I noticed, I saw them in high school with Blindside. Um, it was them, Blindside, and some Christian poet named Bradley Hathaway. But the thing that uh, that really struck me about Me Without You, and the thing that I look for in music now, more so than talent, than a good voice and a good guitarist, is I look for passion. A band that has good passion writes lyrics that mean something and they really like strike some sort of emotional something in your body. That's what I look for in music. And that's why I love five iron and me without you had that too. It's not my style of music, but I appreciated them so much for how much passion that dude has on stage. The idea of like passion and music is something that I'm into now more so than I was when I was younger. And that's why right now I'm obsessed with five iron frenzy in any given moment. If I have downtime, I will go and look up lyrics to a Five Iron Frenzy song and there's one or two lines out of almost every song that I pick out that I'm like, that's emotional and that's like the strongest sentiment I've ever heard in music and I'll share it with my friends and, and like even like my, my friends who are like staunch atheists will will really enjoy some of the uh, the lyrics that Reese writes because I've, 
I've never seen someone that writes lyrics like him. When I first, when, when the new album came out, when Engine of a Million Plots came out, I listened to the first track on there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, against the Sea of Troubles. And, you know, it's, it borrows all these lines from that, from Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when it comes to the end of the song and he says, uh, my only hope is that you cannot not be right. real. Like that hit me so hard. I was like, man, that is like, that is, that's, that's, that's some real shit it's, right there. You yeah. Know? It's like tough to listen to. Like you're saying, like it's, it can be convicting to hear. You're like, oh my God, like this, like it's a side of Christianity that you never see. And that... Like truth be told, when the first album came out, I did not like it. I listened to it and I was like, "This is so different than what they put, used to put out." I didn't take the time to listen to the lyrics, and then um, when I I eventually took time, I was like, "It's their music. I should give it a chance." And I listened to it, and I was like, "It's not as bad as I remember it being." And then I sat down with it one time, and all I did was read the lyrics as I played the album, and it quickly became my favorite album of theirs. And like. To this day, like every song, especially like the fact that they start the album with Against a Sea of Troubles, where he is basically pleading like, this has to be real. This is my only hope. Like, this has to be something that I can believe in. Yeah. And then ends the album with uh, Blizzards and Bygones, where and I, I find it so mysterious that they end the album with that song, where um, which I think was written by uh, Scott, who is now an atheist. And he wrote that song, and that song is like um, about losing your faith. And the fact that they start the album with a song about struggling to keep your faith, and end the song the album with a song about losing your faith, is such a bizarre dynamic. And like the uh, the the imagery in their music these days, like with uh, fire and and winter, is so beautiful. That is something that hit me really hard listening to the whole album and just how it progresses is just. Uh... And um, have you seen – so you've seen them live since they got back together. Have you have you seen yes. uh, Against a Sea of Troubles live? No. They didn't play it at the show it's, I went to. I have only seen it once live and it is so powerful. Like you know that that like emotional feeling you get when every new day comes on and they hit the end and yeah. – Against a Sea of Troubles has that same thing but it's got a different feel to it if you know the song because you see Reese on stage – on his like on his knees just like begging this and the fact that he's still that emotional about lyrics he wrote years ago is like it's crazy to see you know i just I, that album is amazing we could probably go on about this for days at a time and we will eventually eventually we <laughs> will and that's the hope but uh i think we probably need to call it an end to this episode here you know we'd like to hear from anybody who's listening to this and who's made it all the way this far into the show with our rambling and our our uh our geeking out you know our fangirling over five iron (laughs) but we would really like to hear from anybody who's listening so if you're listening to this you can get in touch with us uh one of two ways We've got an email account. It's hype or die podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at hype or die show. Sweet. We would love to hear some recommendations, topics you want to hear us talk about anything you guys want to hear about. If, if we feel like it can fit the show, we'll, we'll take a crack at it. Show. Um, we're not experts at anything, but you know, we might as well try. Exactly. We have the equipment. Let's do it. Well, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, do you have any closing remarks, Josh? I got nothing. You can't put me on the spot like that. I'm, I'm a dud. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't really have any closing <laughs> remarks either. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, that's going to be it for this episode. So until next time, uh, thanks for listening and, uh, keep your eye out for the next episode of hyper die. Mm-hmm.